for any servant of God, for any follower of Jesus, we can all reach stages and walk through seasons where we're going to wonder, can God still use me? Despite all my sin, despite all my failures, despite all the ways in which I have let him down, does God still have a future for me? Ever felt like that? Ever wondered that? Ever asked that question yourself? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And uh, if you ever have felt like that, glad that you have tuned in today because Jonathan, I'm going to guess that there are many who have asked questions along those lines, wondering if God could still use me because of the mess of my past, the sin of my past. And uh, if you're asking that question, my assumption is you're going to say, no, there is good news for you. Oh, absolutely. And the story of Jonah is a wonderful confirmation and affirmation and illustration of that fact that God's grace reaches just to the uttermost. His grace to Jonah, who was a servant of his who was disobedient and flawed and failing, yet God still picked him up and used him again. And God's grace and mercy to the people of Nineveh who were so far away from him, but God pursued them in his kindness. It's a great example of those things that we see in the story of Jonah. We are in Jonah chapters 3 and 4 today, so if you can, grab a Bible, join us there as we continue a message entitled, Grace to the Depths. Here is Jonathan. Well, last week as we embarked on this wonderful little book, we found together that the book of Jonah is before anything else and above anything else a book about God himself. Although the figure of Jonah is, of course, at the heart of the narrative, the book isn't here to teach us about Jonah. It's not even here to teach us about Nineveh and the tens of thousands of people who lived in that great city. No, at its heart, this little story, this great story, is a story all about God. It is a story about His character and about His saving work. As we re-enter the story this morning at the start of chapter 3, when Jonah has just been returned to dry land after three days in the belly of that fish, immediately as we re-enter the story, we discover something very wonderful about the God of this story. We learn together and we see together that our God is a God of undeserved second chances. Just notice it with me, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. One of my first summer jobs, I've mentioned this before, one of my first summer jobs was in a law office preparing correspondence and, and other things. Now, in that kind of an environment, you always need to be careful about discretion and confidentiality and, and so on. We all know that. Who, who receives documents and who doesn't get them and so on. Putting the wrong information in the wrong hands can be a very costly, a very damaging thing for a lawyer and for his clients. Anyway, one day the boss handed me a letter with some handwritten edits and asked me to prepare it and then fax it off to the relevant parties. There was the main addressee for the letter at the top. Then there was someone to be cc'd and their contact details to be written in. And I learned that that meant that, you know, that was someone to be carbon copied in the letter. And then there was someone who was to be BCC'd. Now, I didn't actually know what that meant, but I just kind of assumed that it was like a second 
carbon copy. Someone whose name and address would also be typed at the top of the letter, and, uh, and then they would get it too. Well, I typed all that up. I put the BCC person's name and contacts at the top of the letter to be distributed to everyone, and then I, I faxed it off to all the relevant parties, as I thought I was meant to do. Well, the boss, he came back, and he had a look at the file and saw what I'd done, and the color kind of drained from his face. And at that point, he took just a moment to explain to me what a BCC is. And he said, well, look, a, a BCC is a blind carbon copy. That's a person who's going to receive this correspondence confidentially without all the other parties necessarily knowing who they are or receiving their contact information on the distribution list. Evidently, the subtle distinction between a CC and a BCC was quite significant in this case. Well, that distinction, it was news to me, even if it was common knowledge to just about everyone else in the world. Well, after explaining all that to me, the boss simply said this, I am willing for anyone in the office to make any mistake once. <laughs> and that was it. He didn't mention it again. I put my head down and got on with my work, hoping that I hadn't single-handedly brought down the firm in one fell swoop. Well, there is hardly anything more wonderful in the world than a second chance, is there? We all need a second chance from time to time. We need second chances in big ways, and we need them in small ways. But a second chance is not what we anticipate that Jonah should or could receive when we encounter him at the beginning of the story. Despite the fact that he is a prophet of God, a spiritual leader in Israel, he has proved himself obstinate and he has proved himself rebellious. He has proved himself unworthy of the office. That's what we've seen so far. You know, it's one thing for a new convert, for an immature believer, for a teenager working in the office to get things really wrong. But for one such as Jonah, this is a remarkable story of disobedience. This is a shocking fall from grace. And so, given all that, verse 1 of chapter 3 is really quite an astounding verse. It is as though we have gone right back to the beginning of the story and started all over. Chapter 3 and verse 1 looks a whole lot like the beginning of chapter 1. Verse 1, there is a real sense of deja vu, and I think that sense of deja vu is quite intentional. You see, we're meant to sit up and take notice at this point halfway through the book. We're meant to take notice of that resemblance. Because what we are witnessing here is a wonderful, a beautiful second chance for the prophet Jonah. A thoroughly undeserved opportunity to start again and to continue serving the Lord. Remember that back in chapter 1, God sent his word to Jonah, and he called him to preach against the Gentile city of Nineveh, to be his emissary, his representative in a foreign land. It was an awesome responsibility. It was a huge privilege for Jonah, but Jonah, he wouldn't do it. And instead of obeying the Lord and going to Nineveh, he got on a boat heading in the exact opposite direction. And we remember the story. It took a big storm, a scary swim, three days in the stomach of a giant fish for Jonah to begin to come 
to his senses once more. When we encounter Jonah once again at the beginning of chapter 3, he has recently been returned to dry land by way of a vomiting fish, and his future is very much up in the air. Now, if you or I had been making the determination about Jonah's future right at this point in the story, halfway through the book, you and I, we would have just benched him, wouldn't we? We might well have allowed the digestive system of that fish to continue its work uninterrupted. We might have left Jonah for dead at the bottom of the Mediterranean. For any servant of God, for any follower of Jesus, we can all reach stages and walk through seasons where we're going to wonder, can God still use me? Despite all my sin, despite all my failures, despite all the ways in which I have let him down, does God still have a future for me? Ever felt like that? Ever wondered that? Ever asked that question yourself? And if we have, the story of Jonah tells us something precious. And it tells us something wonderful about the heart of God. It tells us that if we will call upon Him, if we will repent, if we will turn to Him, well, there is a future for us within the purposes of God. Now, the repentance piece in this, it is so key, isn't it? We need to remember that chapter 3 comes after chapter 2, and the Lord had to take Jonah to the very depths of the sea before he would in any way, on any level, repent. Now, his repentance, it was partial in some ways, wasn't it? We see that he's still sinful. He's still very flawed in chapter 4. But there has been this heart change. Something has gone on there. And the prayer of chapter 2 is very wonderful. And the Lord, well, for his part, he wasn't done with Jonah. Not yet. Now, of course, it doesn't always happen quite like this. Sometimes a servant of the Lord will lose their ministry permanently through sin. Sometimes a servant will disqualify themselves from serving in particular ways, in particular roles, with particular privileges and responsibilities. And after sin, after a fall, things may never be quite the same again. But the recommissioning of Jonah here in chapter 3 tells us that God, he, he never casts his servants aside lightly or easily. And the opening of chapter 3, it represents a gracious and a glorious second chance. Now, that's the second chance that comes to the fallen servant, the failed messenger. But the even greater second chance in this story is the one that God gives to the people of Nineveh. Now, remember just with me the Lord's disposition toward Nineveh at the beginning of chapter 1 and verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh, says the Lord, and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. You see, the, the wickedness of this city was so great, it's come up to the Lord's attention in heaven. And he dispatches his prophet at the beginning of the book not to offer words of comfort, not even to give an invitation to repent. No, he is to go and preach against the city. Eventually, after some drama, Jonah does get there, chapter 3 and verse 4, and he proclaims the word of the Lord as he's instructed to do. And what he is given to speak is simply a message of judgment. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's it. 
It's a grim message. It is a stark warning. But wonderfully, the people actually respond to it. We're going to consider their response a little bit more in a moment. But they, they repent when they hear the word of the Lord. And look at what God does. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Now, at the beginning, it sounded as though God was done with the people of Nineveh. It sounded as though when the calendar hit his 40-day mark, fire and brimstone was going to rain down from heaven and destroy this city and wipe its memory from the face of the earth. But when the people respond to God's word of warning by his prophet, when they took the prophet seriously, when they repented, when they sought the mercy of God, what did God do? He gave them a thoroughly undeserved second chance. Now, when we stand back and reflect upon this, as I have been this week, we discover that the message of the Bible is actually, quite simply, the message of a great second chance. That's the heart of the gospel story, isn't it? That's the essence of what God is up to in salvation history. Back at the beginning, at the start of the great book, at the beginning of Genesis, God gave us life in His beautiful world. And He called us to live His way in accordance with His Word because He is our Maker. And ever since that dreadful day in the garden when our first parents decided that they would rebel, each one of us has followed in their footsteps. And right from the start, God made it clear that the penalty for rejecting His Word, rejecting His rule, the penalty would be death itself. But in His grace, God has come to a guilty people. He has come to a guilty world, and He has extended to us His gracious offer of salvation, His gracious offer of a second chance that we don't deserve. He has shown us that He is willing to relent from sending disaster. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called Grace to the Depths, and really beginning to look at the character of God today, how He is a God of undeserved second chances. And we're going to continue this message in just a moment. Our message is from the book of Jonah. We're looking at chapters 3 and 4 today. And so if you joined us a little bit late, you can grab a Bible and be ready to uh, look at that passage with us again in just a moment. But whether you listen to this program on the radio or through the website, we're able to bring you Jonathan's teaching because of your generosity. So thank you to those who are giving a gift of support. And if you're able to do so this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book from C.H. Spurgeon. He was a great Victorian preacher, one of the most influential people of the second half of the 19th century. And he's written a devotional book. It's called Checkbook of the Bank of Faith. And this is a collection of readings that will encourage believers to enter into the full provision that their relationship with Jesus entitles them to realize on a daily basis. And again, we'd love to send you a copy of this book as our way of saying thanks for your financial support this month. You can give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org and the phone number is 833 833- 998-7884. All right, let's get back to the message. Once again, we're in the book of Jonah, looking at chapters 3 and 4 today. So grab a Bible and meet us there. Again, here is Jonathan. 
When Jonah went to Nineveh as a man who had been to the depths of the grave, as it were, and who had been restored and raised through the grace of God, he actually went to Nineveh, didn't he, as a living, breathing demonstration of the fact that God is a God of second chances. That's who he was. That's what he was as he went to Nineveh. He went as a living, breathing demonstration that our God is the God who will pluck people even from the deepest place, the darkest place, and He will offer a fresh start. That's the kind of God He is. You may remember we mentioned this last week that in Matthew 12, Jesus compares Himself with Jonah in a very interesting way. As Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the large fish, so Jesus would spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then having made that comparison, Jesus declares that a greater than Jonah is here. And that that comparison, it's significant. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, it is the great message, the great visual aid, the great declaration of a second chance for humanity, even greater than the message of Jonah's own life. The life of Jesus says that God is not done with us. The death of Jesus says that the price of our sin is paid. And the resurrection of Jesus says that there is now an offer of life beyond the grave. A greater than Jonah is here, says Jesus. And knowing that, I wonder if you have made a response to him. I wonder if you've responded personally to the message of warning that there is a judgment to come. I wonder if you've received God's great second chance in Christ, His invitation to participate even in the life to come. You see, God is a God of undeserved second chances. Next, God is a God of unexpected revival, verse 4. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. A sinful city, a large and an important city, probably self-assured, probably rather proud of its power and size, But the prophet of God, recently vomited from the fish, lands on their doorstep and announces that a God that they may never have heard of will soon overthrow their great city in judgment. And how do they respond to all that? Do they mock him? Do they chase him out of town? Do they charge him with intolerance and gross political incorrectness and cover him with scorn? No, none of the above. They don't do any of those things. They believe God and the word that He has sent. And heeding God's warning, they declare a fast, each one of them from the greatest to the least, from the most powerful to the most insignificant, from the richest to the poorest. They put on garments of humility, garments of discomfort. They abase themselves before the Lord, and they hope that the Lord might have mercy upon them. It's hard for us to imagine the mood on the street reflected here. There's consternation. There's concern. Perhaps there's even panic on the streets of Nineveh. 
Some of you will have lived through situations elsewhere where a community has been in a state of collective anxiety, maybe because of war, maybe because of political unrest, and you know something of this atmosphere of panic, even of terror. On the streets of Nineveh that day, there's a collective heaviness as the prophet of God declares the word of God, this warning of judgment. There is a sense of impending doom. Children are no longer playing in the streets. Neighbors are not out chatting with their friends. Cafes are empty. Shops are deserted. The market square, there's no one to be seen. The Word of God has come home, and it has had its effect. When news reaches the palace of Jonah and his message, the king's response is in the very same spirit. He doesn't take offense he doesn't haul Jonah in for questioning. He doesn't put him on the next bus back to Judea. No, verse 6, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, what did he do? He rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh a most remarkable proclamation. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, this is all very remarkable. This is all very significant. It's not significant simply because the king is a very grand and important person, so his personal self-abasement is of symbolic value. Well, it is of symbolic value. No, of bigger significance than all that is this. The very structures of the society are now being transformed by the Word of God. Consider our situation here today. It's wonderful that we can preach the gospel with liberty. For now, we have freedom to do that in our land. That may not last, but today we can do it. But as we proclaim the gospel within these walls, we're conscious as well that the laws and the structures of our society are not currently moving any closer to a biblical pattern. As far as we can tell, as far as we can observe, they're not being much transformed by the gospel at the present time. In a place like Nineveh, the king, he represents and even embodies the state. So if the king turns to the Lord, the whole society is instantly transformed on a structural level. And we see that transformation taking place in this monumental piece of legislation that he issues. You see, he, he legislates a fast, and he requires all people in the land, verse 8, to call urgently on God. This is a big deal. This is a dramatic turn of events. And that is where we're going to pause today's message here on Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Our message is called Grace to the Depths, where we're looking at God, His sovereignty, and His mercy. And like I said, we'll continue this message next time. Well, we're a listener-supported ministry, and as you give a gift of support so that this program can stay on this station, we want to say thank you by sending you Spurgeon's book, Checkbook of the Bank of Faith. And uh, Jonathan, 
not everybody's necessarily familiar with uh, Charles Spurgeon, kind of a famous name in some circles, but what is it about Spurgeon's devotional writings that you like? Well, Spurgeon was one of the most famous preachers, perhaps the most famous preacher of the Victorian era. He led a very significant church in London, England at that time. And Spurgeon had a genius not only for opening up the truth of Scripture as a teacher, but applying it to the heart as a pastor. And I find his devotional writings and his uh, expositions of Scripture just to be heartwarming and rich at every turn, and I I think you're going to find the same. I trust this resource will be a real encouragement to you. Well, we want to send you a copy of Checkbook of the Bank of Faith for your gift of any amount. You can give your gift when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH or head to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Again, the phone number is 833-998-7884 or the website EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening. For Jonathan and for our producer, Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller. I hope you'll tune in next time.